I'm Vanessa Greenlee, and this is the Plastics Challenge Podcast. In every episode, we meet inventors, scientists, and changemakers who are tackling the global plastics waste problem head on. And they're interviewed by people who want to know more about plastics pollution solutions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Plastics Challenge Podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Greenlee. Today, we're talking about the recommendation from the new Plastics Economy Report that in the plastics economy of the future, the health, safety, and rights of all people involved are respected. And if you want to know more about that report from the World Economic Forum and the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, we've included the link in the show notes. Here today to talk about the organization Plastic Tides and its global youth mentorship program that catalyzes youth leadership for systemic change are Christian Shaw and Aaron Fox. Christian Shaw is co-founder of Plastic Tides. He's a waterman, adventurer, and storyteller discovering a path to make an impact in the world at the intersection of passion and purpose. Christian's a teacher, and he's passionate about sharing his skills and knowledge while inspiring others to join the movement for a healthier planet. He's being interviewed today by Erin Fox. Erin is a rising junior at Cornell University. She's majoring in communication. Erin believes that education is a key part of fixing the climate crisis, and she hopes to use her studies at Cornell to educate others about pollution and actions to take to combat climate change. Having grown up in San Diego, Aaron's especially passionate about reducing plastic waste and ocean pollution. Welcome, Christian and Aaron. All right, so to start us off, I read pretty much every page on the Plastic Ties website, and I see you guys have a ton of stuff going on. You have fundraising campaigns, mentorship programs, you're selling plastic-free products. Can you explain your motivation for creating a hub for plastic pollution field? Absolutely. You know, as you can see, we have been involved in a variety of activities at solving this plastic pollution issue. And we have found that providing a space for young people to pursue their own projects and facilitate that can create a really amplified impact. And so over the past few years, particularly as we looked at the plastic pollution organization landscape and what we do and where we've had the most impact over the years. We felt that focusing on this area would create the most impact into the future. I've noticed that most of your mission focuses on youth empowerment. Can you elaborate on why you believe that youth empowerment is so important? So working with young people has really been at the core of Plastic Tide since the very beginning. And, you know, quite simply, youth are the future. And so working with youth for us has been really exciting and refreshing. It's an area where we can have fun and make an impact and feel like we're really connecting and our message is being heard. And, you know, we all know that you can really reach parents through their kids as well. And so for all those reasons, young people are really at the center of Plastic Tides. I absolutely love that. You're so right. The youth are the future and they're probably the ones that will be the catalyst for change in the climate change space. So shifting gears a little bit, I know it was mentioned earlier, the main focus of today's podcast is how the plastic economy of the future wants to respect the health and rights of everyone involved. 
And in doing my own research, I found that the overarching vision of the new plastics economy is that plastic will never become waste, but will re-enter the economy in other ways. Do you see this as a genuine possibility for our future? I do. I do see this as a genuine possibility. However, I think there need to be some caveats and that we need to be honest about the nature of plastic as a material because although circular approach is really great, plastics just aren't economical to recycle, period. The material degrades every time you have to heat it up and reform it into something new. And so a virgin plastic, you know, is never going to be as valuable or as useful So you're going to be continually downcycling towards more marginalized applications. And I do believe that as we improve our technologies around the alchemy aspect, turning different types of plastics waste back into like their core elements or types of fuel and things of that nature, that we can create a nearly circular system. But at the end of the day, no matter how many times it gets used again, the plastic is going to end up as waste. So in terms, I know you mentioned the alchemy and the actual process of creating plastic and how that is an issue because that is not sustainable. Do you see a future or benefit to bio-based plastics? Absolutely, yes. I do see they're filling a crucial role in the future of plastics. However, I think they are also a false solution in a lot of ways. And You know, they've created a lot of issues, you know, in my tenure in the plastic pollution space, I've seen bio-based plastics definitely create more harm than good, particularly because of misinformation and greenwashing around the actual degradability of these compounds. So PLA, for instance, uh, this is a great example, polylactic acid, one of the most popular plant-based plastics. It will decompose, it will compost, it's compostable, but it needs to be high heat and industrial compost facility for around 180 days. And so you're not going to encounter those conditions in nature, particularly in aquatic environments. For instance, in Ithaca, a lot of business owners ended up becoming rather jaded to the whole plastic pollution issue because they were sold on these PLA utensils that were supposed to be compostable and great. They go invest all this money thinking they're making the right choice And then what happens is they start putting this into the waste stream for Cayuga compost. And well, Cayuga compost, they were taking food scraps and turning that over every 30 days into really valuable, high quality compost and enter these plastic utensils and so on, or PLA. And that stuff doesn't break down on that time frame. And when it does finally break down, it doesn't actually provide good soil. And so they said no more, stopped accepting it. And then you have all these business owners with all this stock of these utensils and and so on. And they don't know what to do with it. They're upset. They're frustrated. They felt like they tried to do the right thing. And now they're stuck just throwing these in the trash until they run out and go back to whatever else they they want to do. And then, you know, on top of all of that, to begin with, a material like PLA is made primarily from corn and soy, which is grown in industrial monoculture using tractors and fuel. If you look at the the plastic that's made of corn, it's really made of oil. It's just kind of taken a little longer to get there. That is 
truly such a testament to the dangers of greenwashing, both to the consumer and to businesses. That is just incredibly frustrating to hear. But unfortunately, people still want to use plastic in their lives because sometimes zero waste isn't viable. Another question I had kind of connected to that. Do you see a future with absolutely no plastic? Because I know during the pandemic, there was such a surge in the use of single-use plastics just because we did not want things to be contaminated. So things that were usually washed and turned over were then replaced with single-use plastics. Do you see a replacement for that? Uh, I see plastics being you know, an integral part of the future for as long as I can imagine because they're a really remarkable material that can provide us with important things in society from medical devices to transportation. And that is even more of a reason though why we need to be thoughtful about how we use plastic. Unfortunately, the pandemic has created a lot of excuses for single-use plastics to be reintroduced in situations where it's really not necessary. And so, you know, that's going to be something that we're going to be dealing with. But yeah, I mean, just across the board, single-use plastics should not be a part of the future of plastic because plastic is too valuable material for society to waste so frivolously. Thinking of ways to reduce your use of single-use plastics? Pack your school and work lunch in reusable containers. You'll find lots of options at Green Star Food Co-op in Ithaca, New York. Replace plastic wrap and single-use sandwich bags with reusable food wrap, washable silicone bags, and stylish, eco-friendly containers. Ditch the plastic water bottle and stay hydrated with a clean canteen or hydro flask from Green Star. Green Star Food Co-op, Ithaca's community-owned grocery store for more than 50 years. Learn more at greenstar.coop. Speaking of reducing single-use plastics, on the Plastic Tides website, you have a lot of tips to target individual actions in reducing plastic waste, as well as selling some zero-waste products on your website. Do you think that that is enough to kind of edge along this goal of the new plastic economy? Not in and of itself. It's incredibly important, and that's why we, we work to promote these types of solutions. But I am a firm believer that to get to a truly sustainable future is going to take a combination of top-down and bottom-up influences. And so when I'm asked what is the number one thing that you can do as an individual, I say that you can vote with your dollars. And what I mean by that is you might go to the ballot box once or twice a year, but you buy things every day. And whenever you spend money on a product, you're telling that company to make more of that. And so if you're just mindful in your day-to-day life about how you spend your money, and you try to vote for the future that you want to live in, the future you believe in, and companies that are making products that embody that, then you're not only going to be sending a message to those companies, but you're also going to be influencing the people around you who see the way that you behave and the way that you stand behind your values with your money. I think that has a huge influence on companies. And I also hope and believe that many of these companies will be rewarded financially for the risks that they're taking. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Consumers definitely have more power than they realize because as a unit, we do influence what companies create and going off of the altruistic companies, the more sustainable and ethical companies, I really encourage everyone I come in contact with and our listeners as well to just do a quick Google search on what companies 
are greenwashing, what companies are actually committing to their sustainability claims. There's so many labels that you can look for on products that can just reassure you that you're buying from the right people. So shifting back to you, Christian, what got you into the zero waste and plastic reduction space in the first place? I can trace it back to one key inflection point um, that was the true impetus for Plastic Tides. That was in my intro to oceanography class with uh, Dr. Bruce Monger at Cornell University. And there was one lecture in particular around plastic pollution that just opened my eyes to something that I had been completely oblivious to. And I say that because I feel like I was fortunate in my childhood to you know, spend a lot of time outdoors and develop an overall awareness of the world around me and started to understand a lot of the issues that we were facing environmentally. By the time I was in college, I felt that I had a very broad scope of knowledge around environmental issues and was starting to become the type of person that could solve them. And yeah, that's, that's what set me on this path. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I know so many people who deeply care about the environment, but there's so many things that you just don't know about. Shout out to Dr. Bruce Monger. I have heard so many people in the environmental conservation space at Cornell cite him. So speaking of plastic pollution and kind of having this wake up moment, I know that in the past couple of years, zero waste and plastic reduction has become a very hot topic. I know I live in San Diego and my senior year of high school, San Diego County actually banned plastic straws and you could really see how some people took it in stride, they bought reusable straws and used that while some people were very frustrated and didn't understand why it was happening. I've seen arguments from both sides. Some people are like, every choice matters, but sometimes people say your one metal straw isn't going to save the planet. So I was just wondering where you stand on those little choices that people make. I think those little choices are the the battles that win the war and it's absolutely critical to do your best to make the little choices because that's all life is. I do think, however, coming back to the example that you referenced, I do feel that banning things is not necessarily the most effective approach. Banning things tends to be polarizing and is going to upset some people and feel like their freedoms are being restricted. And similarly, taxes as well fall into that same category. Not many people like additional taxes. When it comes to things like plastic bags, straws, you know, these different single-use items that we can target really specifically, I think that a better way to approach it in a way that's more acceptable by the mainstream is to point out that, in fact, there's a market imbalance happening. And so... Basically, plastic straws are creating a certain amount of environmental harm. And the companies that make plastic straws are making money because of that imbalance. If you can establish fees on things like single-use utensils or plastic straws to correct that market imbalance, then you can be not only solving the issue, but doing so in a way that is really hard to argue with no matter where you are on the political spectrum. You're absolutely right. I know Cornell is looking into calculating fees on greenhouse gas emissions based on their detriment to the environment. And I don't see why that same principle couldn't be applied to single-use plastic. I think that that's a really good direction that we could go in. What advice would you give to current high school and college students who want to make a change in their community but don't necessarily have a ton of power? The first and most important thing to do is just to pay attention. Pay close attention to what's happening around you and what sort of things you see 
in your day-to-day life that don't jive with the type of future that you want to support. And from there, you know, you're naturally going to start contemplating solutions. If you can start there where you're at, I think that's the best thing to do because it can be really alluring to want to go and do something sensational. But at the end of the day, there's so many problems that need solving at the local level and that need creative solutions. And so for middle and high school students to just pay attention to what's going on around them, start small and start now. You're absolutely right. I really appreciate that you brought up that awareness and local action is, you know, just as important as the big um, sensational acts that you can take because change really does need to happen anywhere. So are there any current actions or opportunities with Plastic Tides that you would like our community to know about? Yes, there are. Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, There's a lot going on. And first and foremost, we have our Global Youth Mentor Program. We are currently recruiting both mentors and youth leaders for this program. The Global Youth Mentor Program is designed to connect motivated middle and high school students who want to pursue a project in their school or community that's going to have a lasting impact on plastic pollution or climate change or other issues really from an upstream perspective and connecting these students with mentors who can just guide them through the completion of their project and do so with the backing and agency provided by Plastic Tides. But really, most importantly, just being there when things get tough and helping work through challenges. We're looking for youth leaders. So if you know anyone in middle or high school who wants to get involved, send them our way. And when it comes to the ideal mentor, we are looking for people who are professionals established in their careers who want to give back and get involved and can consistently commit five to ten hours a week who are excited about working one-on-one with these students the most important thing is being excited about helping these students and really being committed to showing up Thank you so much for telling us about all those incredible opportunities. Listeners, if you want to read more about these opportunities, Plastic Tides will be linked in our show notes. Christian, aside from all these opportunities at Plastic Tides, are there any actions that Plastic Tides is currently participating in that our community could help you guys out with? Yeah, Aaron, we could actually really use everyone's support getting our president's attention with regard to a new plastics facility that is proposed to be built in Louisiana. So back in April, I spent some time on the Mississippi River. Uh, I was out there on my paddleboard doing an expedition, researching plastic nurdles, which are pre-production plastic pellets, and supporting a coalition that's opposing the construction of this new plastics facility. The company is called Formosa Plastics, and they are a known bad actor in this space. They already have a plant near Baton Rouge, which has consistently been breaking the air quality protocols. They are proposing to build what would be the largest plastics production facility to date on the Mississippi River in St. James Parish. If constructed, this plant would double the toxic air pollution in this area, which is already known as Cancer Alley because of the incredibly high levels of air pollution. This issue is really at the intersection of plastic pollution and environmental racism because this is primarily black communities, communities of color that 
are influenced by this air pollution. On top of the toxic air pollution, this plant would be emitting 10,000 plastic pellets per minute into the Mississippi River, um, which then, of course, heading into the Mississippi Delta and the Gulf of Mexico. And the Mississippi Delta is an absolutely stunning, thriving wilderness. It should be something that is cherished by our country, really, truly, and it's being treated like America's sewer right now. We're calling on President Biden to take executive action to revoke the permit through the Army Corps of Engineers, stop this plant from being built. Uh, You can learn more about this issue and you can find a petition in the show notes and on our social media. Really appreciate support. Sign the petition, share it, tell people about this issue. This plant is really at the crux of plastic pollution in the United States and globally right now because... It would be the largest production facility to date. Making a stand here is going to be crucial to changing that narrative. I had not heard about that. So thank you so much for bringing attention to that. I will definitely be sharing that petition around, and I really hope that our listeners will do the same. Today's episode of the Plastics Challenge podcast was produced by Vanessa Greenlee. It was edited by Stephanie Chow. Our theme music is by Nick Bullock, John Petronzio, and Devin Reel of Revision. Special thanks to the Tompkins County Environmental Management Council, the Cornell Environmental Collaborative, and the Jeffrey Coates Laboratory. The podcast is sponsored in part by Cornell's Office of Engagement Initiatives. I'm Vanessa Greenlee. See you next time as we continue community conversations about solutions to plastics pollution.